You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson, Rod and Staff, Philip Edwards will explore the presence of God in our lives and his use of the rod and the staff. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk to see all our latest news and the ministries we have to offer. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. King David, if we read his story in the Old Testament, he was a man who was, he went through many difficulties, many uh, problems in his life. Some of them were of his own making. He created stressing in his own life, but there were lots of things that came at him that would have caused him to be very stressful in his life, but he wasn't, and he wasn't because of the resources that he had. We looked at the resources that God has given us, and we've discovered that perhaps the greatest resource of all is Jesus Christ himself. A personal relationship and a walk with Christ is our greatest resource. We looked at stress and said some stress is actually positive. Those things that make life exciting, those things that cause adrenaline to rush in us that we are ready for things, that's, that's the same sort of thing as stress, but it's positive. We also looked at negative stress. When a problem gets prolonged in our life, it, it just takes the energy from us and it distracts us. We said that some stress is acute, it's quick, it comes and goes. It just comes uh, a daily event maybe. Other stress, we called it chronic. It just carries on and on and on. Uh, if, if someone is sick or uh, there's problems like that that just go on and on, stress becomes very chronic. We must understand what stresses us. We have to take a step back in life. Some people, they seem to drift through life and they don't get stressed at all. Other people are stressed all the time. So all of us do get stressed, but like I was saying, some more than others. We need to take a step back from life and ask the question, what stresses me? What is it that sort of causes this tension, this anxiety within me, this fear and how, how can I recognise it and when it's here? We must recognise what resources we have to handle it. I said Jesus Christ is the greatest Christian resource that we have, but God has given us many other resources as well to, to manage it. We looked at Psalm 23 and we looked at the first two or three verses there. And I'll just reiterate them to you now. The Lord, we said, the Lord is my shepherd. We said that he was my shepherd. We personalise it. Of course, he is every Christian's shepherd, but he's mine. That's what David said. He's personal to me. The Lord, to him, the Lord was the Lord creator of the whole universe. David had a relationship with this creator of the universe as though he was his friend. He knew him intimately. The Lord is my shepherd, he says. I shall not want. I won't lack anything because I know God. I know the author of the universe. I know the one who holds all things. There's no reason why I should be in lack. As I walk with him, he will provide everything for me. And then he makes these three statements regarding peace in his life. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, he, he brings me to quiet places, to restful places. He leads me beside quiet waters. You can imagine with sheep, if there's a lot of noise and activity, especially rushing waters, that would agitate them. And he says, no, he leads me by quiet waters. And then the third thing he says, he restores my soul. He builds me up internally to make me strong. Today we're going to take this a step further, or David's going to take it a step further for us, and we're just going to look at Psalm 23 and verse 4. I'll read it to you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you will be with me. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. I'll just read it again because we're going to be focusing just on this one verse tonight. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you will be with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Stress then, what the, uh, the psalmist is saying, stress comes through walking through valleys. He talks about the shadow of death. We know the most serious uh, valley that we'll walk through is death. Whether it's a personal, uh, the death of someone very close to us, our own death, it could be a prolonged, uh, painful, ill period of time. That would be a shadow of death. Uh, but there are many valleys, shadowy valleys, that are not just death. They come to all of us. You might have had a stressful day today. I don't know, with relationships, with jobs, with situations that you might be in a chronic stress situation where you've been dealing with something for weeks and months in your life. We all then will have these valleys, these valleys to walk through. Often, they're not of our own making. A bereavement, that's not of our own making. Or we find ourselves being lonely or alone, and so we suffer loneliness, sickness, persecution, people coming against us, discouragement through things just not working out. So we're not creating them, they're just here. They come all the time into our lives. As in verse 1 last week, the Lord made a promise to us. He said that he would never leave us in want. We would never have to worry and think God won't supply my need. God is there all the time and his desire is we wouldn't lack the things that we need in life. He's a loving father, a caring father, and he wants to provide everything that we need in this life. That doesn't mean he just pours luxuries upon us. We're not saying that but he would supply the things that we need in our life. In verse 4, the verse we're focusing on this evening, we have two further promises that I want to, uh, us to focus on this evening. He promises, number one, is to be with us. Not only provide the things that we need, but personally, he says, I will be with you. I will be with you. That's, that's better than the first one. In the first promise, God says, I will give you what you need, and that's good. But he says, no, I will do more than that. I will come and personally be with you in the situation. You don't have to walk through any valley, any stressful situation, any, any part of your life. You never have to walk alone. I'm there to walk with you all the time. The second promise in verse 4 is, he promises to make his rod and his staff available to us. So we have to work out what is the rod for? What is the staff for? What might we use them for? So he will be with us and in being with us, he will provide his rod and his staff. The rod, what does the rod speak of? The rod speaks of discipline in our life. We know that verse if we... Uh, if we spare the rod, we spoil the child. So the rod is usually in scripture, it's a rod of correction. Now, the rod could be anything. It's not necessarily a stick that we beat people with. It could be anything that is a discipliner in our lives. The second thing, the staff, the staff speaks of support. So one is to bring discipline and the other is to bring support. So God is saying, listen, I will be with you all the time. I'll never leave you, but I will have a rod of discipline and a staff of support. So we've got these promises now and we're going to work our way through them this evening. Can I suggest to you that if you want God's support, if you want his support, you must submit to his discipline. 
He says, my rod and my staff. He doesn't say my staff and my rod. So if you want the staff to support you, God's staff of support, you must first accept the rod of discipline. On the basis of his rod and his staff, his presence then is guaranteed to us. His presence is guaranteed. Now, you say, Philip, he said he would never leave me or forsake me. God never leaves us. God can't leave us because God fills the whole universe. So the presence of God is there. But if we are erring, if we are moving away or, or trying to distance ourselves from God or put up some sort of barrier between us and God, from our point of view, from our perspective, from we, where we are, we feel that God is not there. So God doesn't distance himself from us but we distance ourselves from God. So technically, in one way, it's not possible, but it feels like we've distanced ourselves because we've drawn ourselves away from him. I want to focus, though, first on where it says, for you will be with me, for you will be with me, the first promise. For some... Christianity has nothing to do with spiritual things at all. Have you met these Christians? They, they seem to be Christians, but there's no spiritual part to their lives. They exercise faith in God, but God is always at a distance. We, we have to be careful that we're not thinking of God at a distance. We don't go to God God is always here, present with us. So you can't go to pray. I understand you stop to pray, but you can't go to pray because God is always present with us all the time. People then, they exercise faith in a God who is somewhat distant. They live by their senses. Only the things they hear or see or smell or taste or touch, they're the things they believe. Anything that is spiritual, they, they push it to one side and say, no, I'll live my Christianity in a very uh, a sense world uh, with the things that are around me. And they choose not to enter into the supernatural life. It's their option Jesus, remember when he said in John chapter 7, he said, if, if you're thirsty, come to me. You can have this Christian life that you can live in the natural if you want to. But if you want more, then come to me and drink and drink of the spirit so we can step into a spiritual dynamic of the Christian life. Have you ever thought what a charismatic Christian is? I'd ask the question, are you a charismatic Christian? Are you open to the things of the Spirit? Do you entertain the things of the Spirit? Do you want the supernatural Christian life? Or are you merely content with life in the natural? Happy to be a Christian, but you don't go towards the supernatural, the spiritual. That's your option. It doesn't make you any less a Christian or that you're not a Christian. It's just you choose to live in the, what I would call, if I was teaching on the tabernacle, you choose to live in the outer court. You don't want to enter into the holy place and press on into the holy of holies. That's our choice, it appears to me, from Scripture. So some Christians then, they don't want to uh, enter into the spiritual things of God. For others, more inclined to divine matters, they are occupied with a particular thing in Christianity. Maybe it's evangelism. Their thing is to evangelise. That's what they see as the sum total of Christianity. For others, they're taken up with church growth. How do we cause the church to grow? Others, it could be, oh, what really... Uh, excites me is learning theology or social action. I love social action. I just, uh, I just want to help poor people. To others, it might be mission or praise and worship, the casting out of demons. 
healing the sick, miracles, holiness. They might, some others might be really excited about end time teaching. And that's what really does it for them. They get so excited about this. And I've realised within this Christian life of ours, there's so many things that we could just lock into and it becomes the, the sum total or the, the, the majority of our Christian life and experience. Can I say to you, be careful, because all these things, they are things. They're things. Be careful that you don't make Christianity about things. Christianity is about a person. It's not about it. It's about him. Christianity is always about Jesus Christ. And we have to keep keep reminding ourselves of that because we get sucked into doing something for God and we can lose Christ in the midst of that. The truth is, of all these things, Christ trumps them all. Christ is at the heart and the centre of all of these things. If you, if you want to minister to the poor, that's really good. But you make sure that Christ is in the centre. And not just give him lip service, make sure Christ is in the centre. If you want to get involved in mission, then make sure Christ is always at the centre. If, you, if God anoints you and you, you move into healing or a healing ministry, make sure Christ is never forgotten, that Christ is at the centre of everything. Some people with healing ministries, you think they're the healers, but it's not them at all, it's Christ. And so Christ has to be central all the time. Now, I'm not being disparaging about all these disciplines they are all vital and in all important. They're all in Scripture and they all need to be considered in the Christian life. But we must never forget that Christ is at the heart of all of them. I will fear not, the psalmist says, because you will be with me. Understand, the reason we don't fear is because you, Jesus, will be with me. So our relationship with Jesus Christ, the reality of this relationship is so vital in dealing with many of the things that come against us in our Christian life. Let's make sure that we never lose sight of the centrality of Christ. All Scripture, Old and New Testament, Point us to Christ. All scripture testifies of Christ. Whether you're going to read Genesis or Exodus or any of the books, any of the prophets, they're all pointing towards Christ and testify of him. God himself exalts Jesus Christ. We know that when God spoke from heaven on the two or three times that he spoke, what did he say? He said, look, this is my son. His, his emphasis and his focus, even when he spoke audibly from heaven, was to point to his son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit magnifies Christ. He says, I've come to bring Christ to you, to magnify Christ in your life. We're told that the, worship, the angels all worship the son. We're told that in Hebrews. And the early church, if you read uh, how the early church preached and the things that Paul said, they spoke about Christ. Christ was the passion of their message. Paul said, I've come to cre preach Christ and Christ crucified in our midst. Maybe we go to church week after week and we hear lots of good things, but it shouldn't go too long before we hear a, a Christ-centered message to bring us back onto Christ, or that every message somehow should have Christ in the centre of the message. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. It is the lifting up and the magnifying of Christ that the gospel is all about. And it's this person I want to magnify tonight and to lift up and to say to you, you must walk with Christ in your life. To, 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 to be the resource of overcoming 
stress and so many other things. For you will be with me. To understand the full impact of David's words, it's important we understand the vastness of God's love. It rolls off our tongue so easily to say, well, God is love and God loves me and uh, the love of God and these things, but we need to know it and experience it. Love, love has to be experienced. Love isn't a word. Love isn't uh, an intellectual thing. Love is something that flows from one person to another and is experienced in their life. So you have to experience the love of God in your life. You have to feel it. You have to know it. You have to experience it. Because that's how God's made us, that we would know the, the vastness of the impact of his love. I've chosen something to illustrate this tonight. It's, it's not a verse of scripture, but it's, it's a great hymn that I want to share and talk to you about. There are some fantastic hymns and worship songs that are written, inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are some ones that aren't so fantastic as well, but we won't go there tonight. We're just going to look at a fantastic one. Uh, and, and it's a hymn. It's several hundred years old. But as we look at it tonight, you'll understand what I'm saying. I want to share with you a hymn that was written by a Welsh minister. His name was William Rees. He probably wrote it in about 1840. So we're going over, it's nearly 200 years now this man put pen to paper. But what's exciting about it is the Holy Spirit took this, this hymn that he wrote and he made it the anthem for the Welsh revival in 1904-1905. He used it as the anthem. The Holy Spirit says, if we're going to have an anthem, and most, most movements of God, most conferences that you would attend have certain anthem songs. If you've ever been to a conference, you come home singing and humming these songs and usually having to buy the, you know, well, you don't buy CDs now. That's, that's history as well now, isn't it? So anyway, so, but, but this was the anthem that they sang at the Welsh Revival. It captures for us the passion the passion that Christ has for each one of us. It also, it's, it shows us the extravagant price that Christ paid to his Father to redeem us and the extent to which we should respond to this great love. So, chosen by the Holy Spirit for this very significant event. As we read it here together now, I'm going to read it to you. It says, if we're to walk in freedom in this world, we must know Jesus intimately. We must know the vastness of his love for us. We must experience it and know it and understand it. And then we must walk with him in this very close, loving relationship. When you say the words, and we've read them here, I've said them many times tonight already, you are with me. When you say that, you are with me, Lord, what does that mean to you? What does it mean? You have to examine really what it really means. Is he with you every second of the day? Is he living on the inside of you? Is he the one who directs your steps? Do you depend on him? Do you lean on him? Do you talk to him all the time? What does it mean? You are with me. You are with me. Let me read then this, uh, or three verses of this hymn to you. Uh, some of you will know it very well, others you probably won't know it at all, uh, but I think those that will know it, the, the tune will start playing in your head. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it, you're not going to be suffering any of that, it's just uh, me reading it to you. But I'll read these verses to you. It says this, Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness, 
as the flood, when the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Let me all thy love accepting, love thee ever all my days. Let me seek thy kingdom only, and my life to be thy praise. Thou alone shalt be my glory, nothing in the world I see. Thou hast cleansed and sanctified me, thou thyself hast set me free. I want to expand on some of that now so we get the the truth as I see in that tremendous hymn where God wants to show us the vastness of his love, the, how his love drove him to pay such an exceptional price for you. Christ is God. God is love. Therefore, Christ is love. When Christ walked on the earth, he was the personification of love, both the personification of God and the personification of love. Christ doesn't possess love in the same way we do. We have love, we possess love and we show love, but Christ is love. He doesn't have it in the same way we have it. He actually is love. His essence is love. Here is love then, vast as the ocean. I've mentioned this before, the surface of the world, only 25% of it is land. 75% of the surface of the world is ocean. It's vast. I, I live by the sea and I know some of you live by the sea and as you stand and you look at the sea, isn't it vast? You <laughs> It just goes on because it sinks behind the horizon. But it's, you just have a sense of the vastness, the vastness of the ocean. And it says, here is love. Here is the love of God as vast as the ocean. I shared a testimony in a previous module that I did where um, I had an open vision of God. Uh, I'll share it with you again. Um, I was standing on the seashore and I knew I was in the presence of God and uh, I had a teaspoon in my hand and I looked at the ocean and then I put the teaspoon into the water and as I lifted it up and looked at the teaspoon and the water, God said to me, that's how much you know about me, Philip. I, I was somewhat felt rebuked and told off a little bit because you know, I had been a minister for a few years. I thought I was the bee's knees. I thought I knew something. But you see how vast God is. But not just the vastness of God, but the vastness of his love. Because he is love. Imagine a God that fills the universe and God is love. What a vast love that he has. And he wants to channel that towards us. So as I held the spoon, I thought, well... You're right, God. Of course you're right. It was easy to work out that you were right. Because I, I, although he was putting me in my place, I didn't feel condemned. I thought, well, there's a lot more I can learn. Maybe when I come back in 10 years, I might have a dessert spoon. And then in another 20 years, I might have a tablespoon. But I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep trying to understand more and more and more about this wonderful God that we love and serve and know. Loving kindness, it says. Loving kindness. 
as the flood. Is he making reference to Noah's flood? What a flood that was. God just poured out the heavens and everything that had breath in it was extinguished. Every living creature, every bird, every person, the flood was so it just, it just engulfed everyone. It just covered everything. It destroyed everything in its path. Imagine the love of God as it's poured out, destroying everything in its path as it comes towards you, as it's pouring out towards you. Loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood, there has been no richer substance on this planet than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because it was the blood of God. And he said, listen, I will pay for you. I will pay the ransom price for you with my blood. What love, what tremendous love. And so a ransom had to be paid by Jesus to God to ransom you, to redeem you. And Christ paid that so you could be reconciled again with God. That is the one who is promising to be with us all of the time, day and night, never to leave our side, never to drift away from us, He's committed to being with us. Who his love will not remember? Who will cease to sing his praise? This tremendous Lord that we know, when we first become a Christian, we don't know the Lord. We don't know God. We don't know scripture. You don't know anything when you come to Christ. The only thing you know is you're saved. Somehow life has changed. Somehow there's a difference. Somehow you've got a new direction in your life. Somehow you know there is a God, but you don't know anything about him. You don't understand anything about him at all. And so we know what we want to do is serve him. So we want to serve this God. And so that's how we focus our Christian life at the beginning. It's in service. It's in service. But as we get to know about God and who God is and who Jesus is and his closest, we start to love him as a person. And so at some point, our love supersedes our service. Has that happened to you? Are you still serving the Lord, serving the Lord, serving the Lord? Fantastic, keep serving the Lord. But at some point, the love of God should supersede your service. And in, when that happens, you serve him because you love him. You know then why you serve him, because you love him so much, because of his vast love that he is showing towards you. We have a Father God And Jesus has the same Father God. And that Father God wants to bring us together. He wants to bring Christ together with us. The Father wants to bring his Son and us together. He wants us to get to know each other and to relate with each other. The second verse that we're going to look at, it sort of records for us the time and the place where Christ and the Father manifested the full extent of their love to us. It says, On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. See, prior to the crucifixion, prior to that, The love of God was somewhat held back. It was somewhat restricted. Yes, after Adam fell, God walked with man. He had a plan. And it took him 4,000 years to work out this redemptive plan. Not work it out in his head, but work it out in time. 4,000 years after Adam then. At that moment of time, the father and the son both expressed the full extent of their love for humanity, for you. It's for you. 
God extended and showed you the full extent of his love. It says God's mercy would break through the floodgates. It is though the mercy of God was held back. It could not be fully released onto man, fully released onto you until Christ went to the cross. And the minute you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the floodgates were open. So the love and the mercy of God is always often an interchangeable word. The mercy and the love of God, they could flow into your life. They could they could come to you personally, directed into your life. It says that God's grace would cascade into the world like a mighty tide held back and at Calvary it pours out into the world a mighty cascade of the love of God pouring into the world. God's grace and mercy would flow through the world, it says, like mighty rivers. God's God simply just worked with this small, tiny nation, this small group of people, but at Calvary, His love simply flowed. His mercy flowed into the world like rivers reaching into every nation, reaching everywhere. The love of God started to flow. Now the gates of heaven were open. God's love would pour down, it says, incessantly. The love of God never stops flowing into our lives. He's trying to build this relationship all the time with the love of God being poured into it. I think this is the next, the most beautiful, beautiful line of the whole song. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss the guilty world in love. It's as though God came and a guilty, sinful world God kissed it. We've got to stay with this. What imagery came to me when I thought of God kissing? Has God kissed you? Have you kissed God? You go, you got a bit weird on me, Phil. Remember when the prodigal returned home to the father? Remember the prodigal coming home? Filthy, uh, in a state, everything of the year done, uh, walking miles, coming back to the father. What did the father do? He kissed him. He kissed him. How did he kiss him? I'll tell you what I think. He kissed him on the lips. He kissed him and kissed him and kissed him again. You know, sometimes we, we greet others with a kiss, don't we? And sometimes it's like someone's kissing your ear. If they're kissing you at all, they're not really kissing you. They're just, they're just banging you with their cheek. No, no, no. God, the father kissed his son. He kissed him. He was showing him the full extent of his love. How else do we fully show someone how much we love them apart from kissing them, letting our lips touch their lips? You know what it says in Song of Songs? I love this verse. It's the opening verse of the Song of Songs. It says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I'm talking about God. I'm talking about his son, Jesus Christ. And the desire is to come and kiss you. The greatest uh, way in which they can demonstrate their love for you now in a physical and a real way. Heaven's peace, it's peace. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed, kissed guilty people, kissed people who didn't deserve to be kissed, kissed a guilty world in love, in love. That's the God we walk with. See, you must know God. And you must walk with God. The rest is is head knowledge. It's not good enough. It's not good enough to dispel all the fear, dispel all the stress, dispel all the tension. You must walk personally with this God and his son, Jesus Christ. The cross then truly does portray God's inexpressible love 
for each one of us without a shadow of a doubt. To know his love, to accept his love, will turn our heads, our hearts, our minds towards him. Towards him. It will turn our heads and hearts towards him. Our face, our face will look upon his face. (laughs) I can see that prodigal. I can see he's a little bit embarrassed. He's a bit ashamed, isn't he? Maybe he doesn't want to look into his father's eyes. He wants to come back, I get that. But I don't know quite what had gone on in his heart and everything. He knew to come back was the right thing. But his father looked him straight in the face and kissed him. He kissed him. And so he drew him into his love. We will live a life of praise to him if we see his face. He will become our everything as we look into his face. The world can then offer us nothing. What can it offer you when you look into the face of God and the vastness of his love starts to touch you and touch your heart? He has won our hearts completely. Completely. There is nothing left in our heart except him knowing him knowing him knowing him sets us free that's it nothing else sets you free knowing him sets us free god desires intimacy with us a relationship with us. Not now and again, not this evening or that morning or something, 100%, 24 hours a day in relationship with him. The intimacy of a father and his child. As we walk with Jesus, and we build this relationship up with him and we love him and he loves us we're his bride and he is the groom we're going to be looking next module at revival i do believe there will be a revival i do believe that and i believe the essence of that revival because every revival brings another truth. It moves the church forward in a tremendous truth. The truth that I think it is going to bring next time is about the bride and the bridegroom. The bride and the bridegroom. I think you're going to hear more and more teaching about us being the bride and Christ the bridegroom and the relationship that Christ is drawing us into. And for one reason, he will one day take us, his bride, and present us to the Father and say, this, this is my bride. And he will take great pleasure in presenting us to the Father. The Father will love us and we will love him. We love Christ. Isn't it difficult sometimes to separate God and Christ? You wonder who you're talking about sometimes. You wonder who you're praying to sometimes. We need to clarify in our thinking. We're walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to walk and meet God the Father. Until that day, Christ has committed himself to being, I love this expression, our all in all. He is our all in all. There isn't room for anything else. Nothing else exists. It's just he becomes complete for us, to care for us, to never leave us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall never be in lack. Your rod, sorry, for you will be with me. 
for you will always be with me. The first promise of God is, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. I'm always there. You wake up in the morning, I'm there. You go to bed, I'm there. You're having a bad day, I'm there. You're having a good day, I'm there. I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. I'm always there. And if you knew that I was always there, how could you ever be stressed? How could you ever, ever worry about stuff? Because I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always cause you to be at rest and peace. Let's move on now to the second promise that we have. Your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. I said the rod was a rod of discipline or a rod of correction. I think the shepherd carried the rod in his hand and his staff. The rod he would use sometimes just to gently tap the sheep. It probably wasn't necessary to do any more. In fact, when the sheep saw this rod come in towards him, he knew, he knew it was a, a moment of discipline. Uh, you know, sometimes parents are like this, don't they? They just look at a child sometimes and the child jumps into line. It's like, whoa, mum's on the warpath. You know, it's just like, it's enough. You don't have to do anything more. You just have to look. One of your looks and it corrects them. It brings them into order. So the, just just a gentle touch with the rod would have brought the discipline to the sheep and the staff was there to carefully pull them back sometimes, to, to just use it to, to rescue and to support and to comfort them. They said uh, a Jewish father, this is years ago, I suppose it's still in the Jewish tradition, the father would use one hand to correct the child, then he would use the other hand to comfort the child. He would never mix his hands up. So one hand was a hand of correction and the other hand was a hand of comfort. But the Jewish tradition is full of all that sort of stuff, I know. So anyway, I'll just leave that one with you. You are doing things in your life, you see, that bring stress into your life. And what God wants to do in his presence with you all the time, with his rod and his staff, he wants to use the rod sometimes to bring correction into your life. What he might say to you now and again is, you need to step back and take an inventory of your life. What's going on? What are you doing? Are you doing too much? Are you, are you involved in things that you shouldn't be involved in? And these things are stressing you in your life. Just take a step back. If you're getting very stressed in some areas of your life, take a step back and see, should I be involved in this? Just check over your life. It's the rod of the Lord. Sometimes we make poor choices in life. We have to learn to slow down in our decision making and make the right choices. Just go a little slower and be reliant on the Lord and, and walk in the principles of God to make right decisions. That's the rod of the Lord again. And make changes in your life where you can. Don't just think, oh, it'll all work itself out. Often it doesn't, and it gets worse. So make the necessary changes. That is the rod of the Lord. Are you struggling with things that control you? This too is the rod of the Lord. Is there addiction in your life, be it food or alcohol or cigarettes or drugs or TV or sport or something, something that controls you? Well, it's... The rod of the Lord would say, no, 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 we need to deal with this. This needs to be removed from your life. All sorts of sexual sins control people, imagery and pictures and pornography and all this stuff. We have to control it. We have to deal with it. That's the rod of the Lord. Sometimes people's lives are out of balance. They want to work all the time so they don't have to devote time to their family or the church, or the home, so they keep themselves busy. Well, it's out of balance. We need to get that balance back. 
Maybe we have prideful ambitions. We want to be successful. We want more money. We're just worried all the time what people think about us. Well, the rod of the Lord would say we need to deal with these things. If we allow things to control us, they always add stress to our life. Is there anything that controls your life? If so, it will bring stress. How do we get out of it? We simply repent. Repent is not, as I say, it's not saying sorry. It's having a change of mind. It's deciding I'm not going to go in that way anymore and ask God to help you, to give you the grace to walk in a new direction, to think differently. We have to line our behaviour up with biblical principles in our life and walk in biblical principles. If not, our lives become very stressful. So much then for the rod of of discipline. Let's look at the staff now. The staff that supports us having brought discipline into our lives. And God won't do that. You have to do that. God will not come and just take things out of your life. He won't do that. It's up to you. It's your decision making. You walk before the Lord. You are responsible for your temple. You are responsible for the journey in your life. And if there's something wrong, God will help you to put it right. It's important, or sorry, it's impossible to be comforted by the staff of God unless we first dealt with the discipline in our lives. In the Old Testament, all the saints had a staff. We know that the leaders of the tribe in uh, the time of the tabernacle, they brought their staffs, didn't they? And they laid them on the ground and God judged that Aaron should be the priest. So everyone had a staff. It was symbolic of, of their lives and, and who they were as people. We do this verse in Hebrews 11 and 2. It says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. The staff then supported him in life. So the staff of God is to be your support. God has designed us so that we lean. We lean first on him and if necessary, we lean on other people. We lean on our friends, we lean on our our church community, we lean on people. God then, as we lean on God, God becomes the source of our strength. See that? Jacob leant on his staff, the staff supported him, so God is the source of our strength, and he is the strength of our lives. We act in life as though the situation that we're dealing with depends totally on us. That's how God wants us. He doesn't want us to say, oh, well, I just leave it to the Lord and the Lord will take care of it. I found that doesn't work too well. Sometimes God in his mercy does deal with it, but often he has an expectation that we will do what we can do. We, we approach life as though this depends on me, but all the time we know that God is in control. We, we do things as though it depended on us, but knowing that God is in control. If you think I've just turned up here on a Monday night, read, read through my notes for five minutes and then done this... You are mistaken. You really are mistaken because I, <laughs> I labour over what I do. I do everything that I can possibly do to, to, to do. But then I say, Lord, it's you. I'm dependent on you. I'm leaning on you. It is, you are the strength of everything that we do. When we depend on God, he becomes the champion of our cause. What does this mean? Sometimes he fights our battles for us. He says, sit down and I'll deal with this. I'll sort this one out. And we just do nothing. God just goes before us and does it. Other times he walks with us in the thing. 
He doesn't deliver us from it at all. We have to walk through it. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they had to go into the fire. They said, if we die, we die. If we live, we live. Glory to the Lord. But they had to go in and because God went in them with them. Daniel had to go into the lion's den. I'm sure he thought for a, a moment, oh, well, this better work, God. I'm doing everything I can. I'm just now fully dependent on you. Sometimes we have to enter into things and God doesn't deliver us from them. We suffer the blows that come upon us. But listen, God is with us even as we walk through the difficult thing. It's wrong to think just because you prayed you're going to get delivered out of it. That's wrong. Don't think that. There's enough examples of saints in the scriptures that walk through stuff. Some suffered death and some were delivered and some uh, God just intervened for them. But there's a whole variety. But he will champion the cause. He said, I'll never leave you. I can't. Whichever happens to us, we are relieved from carrying the weight of the problem, that which stresses us. See, his presence removes the stress, the anxiety. We have to walk through it. We have to make preparations for it. But he just takes the load of it. It says, roll your cares onto him. Keep walking through the dangerous valley. Keep walking through the difficult situation. But roll the care of it onto the Lord. It's just the care you roll onto him, not the whole situation. He then becomes our staff. The one that we can lean on as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 30, because Jesus talking similarly like this, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We still have to walk with Christ, but we are locked in together with him. He carries the load. He carries the burden of it. Our burden becomes light. Our stress is lifted. Our anxiety is lifted as we go through the situation with him. We aren't designed to fight daily stress alone. We're we're meant to walk with God. We're designed to walk with God. Not all situations in our lives will be resolved quickly. Some might never be resolved at all. But he doesn't want us stressed and burdened with whatever they are, but that we walk with him. The Christians have a word for this. It's called refining or pruning. We don't like either of those terms, do we? We don't want to be refined or pruned. Refining is refining fire, and pruning sounds like someone's going to take the clippers to us. So, very painful experience, both of them. But but it's part of the walk that we have. Stressful times are moments to practice what we know is true about God. That's it. I, I think that God very seldom simply lifts us out of the situation, waves a wand and it's all dealt with. Those are rare occurrences. Mostly we have to walk through these things with God. When we then experience these times of stress, are we, are we really conforming? We could ask ourselves, am I really conforming to the image of Christ? Am I screaming and panicking or am I being conformed to Christ? Am I screaming less than I did last time? Am I panicking less than I did the time before? Am I being conformed into the image of Christ? Is my mind truly being renewed to the things of God? 
or have I lost ground? And I'm more worried now than I was ever before. Have I got to a place in this walk with God that I'm not anxious about things? I've been able to roll the care of it onto the Lord. Are we accomplished sufficiently at standing firm when it's all coming against us? Can we still stand firm? Or are you still being bowled over at the least little thing? Or are you standing and trusting and knowing your God? Are you practice sufficient at confessing his promises? Or when you need to confess it, have you forgotten it? See, God allows things in our lives to mature us, to grow us. So when we stand with our husband Christ, we're a pair well met. You understand? When we stand with Christ, we're a pair well met. Because we have stood and we have battled and we have resisted and we have pressed on. And the word of God is true in our hearts. The promises are true in our life. God wants to show you his love and compassion. But he can only do that as you walk through difficult times. See, if he only wanted to show you his power, he would deliver you every time. But he doesn't just want to show you his power. Sometimes you'll see the delivering power of God and you'll say, God, you're amazing. But sometimes you'll say, God, you're compassionate, you're full of love, and you've walked with me every step of the way. God doesn't always heal those we pray for, does he? I think you're right in believing God to do it. If God hasn't given you a word, you must stand on the word of God, stand on the promises of God. You must bring your petitions and requests to the Lord and be as powerful and as positive as you can. But not everyone gets healed. In those times, we stand. We stand until the battle's over, one way or the other. And then we move on. God is a refuge and we run to him. Someone once suggested that the the scriptures are like a a prescription that we should take. Some say take it three times a day like you do your medicine. So I'm going to give you a biblical prescription here. It's found in Philippians 4, 6 to 9. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Don't forget that one. Every time you pray and petition, You make sure you give thanks to God as well. Present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. If you don't put it into practice, he can't be with you. Thank God not for the stress that you're experiencing. We never praise God for the pain that we're in or the misery that we're working through, but we can thank God that he hears and he's with us and he is with us all the time as we go through the situation. Present your request to God, it says, as I mentioned, with thanksgiving, always with thanksgiving. Meditate on good and positive things. Meditate on a positive result. Unless God says it's not going to be a positive result, meditate on a positive result. See a positive result. The result, the peace of God, the peace of God will be with you. God wants to help. 
God is with you. God always wants to bring peace into your life. Amen. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson, The Rod and the Staff. And please come back next week for our third lesson in the Handling Stress module. Also, if you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, you can do so on our website at ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online donation. Arise Ministry, a living legacy. Thank you.